Welcome to episode 10 of Lil Muck, a tiny slice of the Muck podcast where we talk to people in the media and politics about their favorite stories or experiences. I'm Tina Jaramillo. And I'm Hillary Doherty. Hillary, tell us about today's guest. <sighs> Tina, I seriously have butterflies. This is <laughs> so incredible. You know, here's the deal. We are politi- political nerds, like yes. junkies. And so when there's somebody amazing, which yes. she hates that I'm saying this right now, and I'm so sorry, but I'm doing it anyway, Yes, um, who does really good work and um, is making a huge difference uh, and shines in politics, then you have to acknowledge that person and talk to them and tell everybody about them. So I am so... Uh, proud to introduce born and raised in Orlando representative Anna V. Escamani. She's the daughter of working class immigrants. She was elected to serve in District 47 in the Florida House. She's authentic, vocal, and effective. She is a champion for LGBTQ. BTQ equality, the environment, affordable housing, increased access to healthcare and public education. <gasps> Representative Escamani, thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's such a joy. Thank you for the invitation. Of course. So let's start with um, what led you to run for office in 2018. And tell us a little bit about your election, because I believe you flipped a seat in the in the District 47. That's right. Yes. Yeah, that's right. We did. I mean, I think for many women who get into politics, it's often driven by a personal desire and a, and a personal connection to your community, to your neighborhood that drives you to say, you know what, like, I, I'm going to put my name in the ring, and I'm, and I'm going to stand up for something. And, and that, that was exactly the case for me. As, as, as you mentioned, I was born and raised in Orlando. I come from very humble beginnings. My family did not have a lot of money, but we had a whole lot of love. And, and, and every day was, was, was an effort to achieve the American dream. And my parents actually came from two different parts of Iran, but met in Orlando. Mm. And I have a twin sister, Ida Eskamani, and an older brother, Aria, who actually lives in, in Miami in South Florida. And um, we, you know, we, we took every day with, with a great deal of grit and grace and uh, went to public school. Um, my parents worked multiple jobs, make ends meet. And, and my mom was actually diagnosed with cancer when I was a little girl and she passed away when I was 13. Mm. And so a lot of what I do every day is, is really grounded in, in, experiencing trauma myself and, and wanting to build a community and a state where we're supposed to have to go through that, where a parent isn't going to lose a kid and a kid isn't going to lose a parent if we can help prevent it, right? By access to healthcare, by right. reducing gun violence, by providing mental health resources. So I was, I was always just a, you know, behind the scenes community advocate, um, organizer on my college campus. I started working at Planned Parenthood when I was um, right out of college, my first job. And I was a Planned Parenthood patient before then. So I would not be where I am today if it wasn't for my ability to access contraception at, at a time where, where I needed it. And, you know, to, to focus on my academics and my professional career and decide when I want to become a parent myself. And so with all that said, you know, I was working at Planned Parenthood. I was um, in the legislature with volunteers, patients, storytellers, trying to push lawmakers. Uh, to stop attacking issues like abortion access when uh, President Trump won his election in 2016. And that really was a catalyst for me. I, I watched that election. I was a volunteer in that election. And I just watched how, how politicized everyday issues became, how many Floridians and Americans were, were pushed to feel like other. And then those who supported the president were, were really were really just targeted 
through tactics like scapegoating and fear mongering. And I just, I felt like this wasn't the America that I know and that I, I, and my parents came to call home. And so that really was my motivation to say, we got to redefine what it means to be a public servant and also help re- rebuild the Democratic Party. Because I'm sure listeners would agree, and y'all probably agree too, that it's not like the Democratic Party is, is free of muck. No, <laughs> there girl. is plenty yes. of muck in the Democratic For Party. Sure. And so, you know, and so I also felt like we gotta, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta, re-inspire folks to, to get engaged, but to also you know, hold ourselves accountable to a higher standard of ethics and transparency. And so, um, you know, I, 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 I have a DNA claim. I am a Democrat, um, but there are many moments to this day where I challenge my own party and it, it's to the chagrin of my colleagues. But, um, but that was my catalyst. And of course, it was a flip seat. So this is a District 47, for those who don't know, we're in downtown Orlando, Winter Park, Bell Isle, um, and so it's a long district and it stretches from, you know, parts that there are, are Donald Trump signs in people's yards, you know, mm-hmm. all the way to, uh, uh, to folks that supported Bernie Sanders, right? We have kind of every political spectrum in our district. And, um, we've done, we did our best to flip the seat by 15 points in mm-hmm. 2018. And of course, you know, we run for office every two years. So we're back on the campaign trail, making sure folks know who has their back. And that um, uh, no matter what your party affiliation is, we're going to support We care about you and we want to support you. Oh, I love that. So um, you talked about your work with Planned Parenthood uh, while running for office. What's it like working in a legislation that passed parental consent and is working toward a full ban? Right. It is. Uh, I, I, I jokingly tell folks that if you work at Planned Parenthood in Florida, you can do anything <laughs> because because the environment is so hostile and mm. and you know when I worked at Planned Parenthood and I would my first my first experience like I said earlier was as a patient but then I started volunteering at Planned Parenthood as a health center escort walking patients in mm. when there were protesters outside and I did that all through all through my undergraduate years at the University of Central Florida and even when I started working at Planned Parenthood, I, I continued to manage the escort program. And so I, every Saturday morning for years, I would be outside with our volunteers, making sure patients are safe and folks can access reproductive options. Right. And and so I'm, I'm used to being yelled at. You know, folks would call me everything under the sun. Um, but to be in the legislature, it, it, it's, it's really interesting, honestly, because you realize very quickly how little your colleagues even understand about abortion and about and about reproductive health like the the knowledge and understanding of what they what many are legislating on is is close to zero and i remember watching so i my the, the republican leadership intentionally did not put me in healthcare committees because they didn't want me to be in the committee room when abortion was being debated before it oh got to the God. house floor so it was very intentional. I mean, when you get to the floor legislature, it's almost like uh, first day of school. You go through an orientation, and then they ask you to um, select your preferences for a committee meetings. So I selected healthcare committees. I selected higher ed committees. I'm getting my PhD at UCF, so I'm really big into higher ed academic spaces and job trainings. Um, and I didn't get any of that, right? <laughs> but when those bills would uh, be agenda to these committees, I would go and sit in the committee room. And though the the chairman would never pick me to ask questions, I wanted to at least be there and 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 hear the debate and and sit with my colleagues and watch, you know, watch yeah. what 
what the bill sponsor was saying and doing so we could prepare ourselves for the house floor. And I'll never forget, you know, walking out of the committee room and, and my Republican colleagues, um, you know, voted for this bill and brought up um, perspectives that were just not grounded in truth. And so I, I told them that, you know, as we were walking down the hall, I said, you know, it's, it, you know, you're, you're, you have misconceptions about young people accessing an abortion and, and no, there's no young person in Florida receiving an abortion without some sort of either a parental notification or a courtroom, a, a judge telling her that she can end this pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, nobody's just walking in and ending a pregnancy without some sort of, 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 of legal standards they have to meet, which we could, we could also elevate how those are detrimental because for many young people who don't have a parent or guardian to talk to, they're fearful if they right. were to communicate or that parent could be their, their sexual abuser. You know, there's so many, so many concerns that we don't even know. But it's quite striking that it, it doesn't matter to that. Like, because it's more about another political uh, um, talking point on the campaign trail, right? Because I already know that the Republican Party is accusing Democrats of, you know, they don't want you to know when your daughter is ending her pregnancy. Mm. And that's not what it is, right? But, but they're going to try to paint the issue to be, to be very one-sided, to be, to be black and white, when nothing about abortion access is black and white. All of it is nuanced. And we have to be willing to jump into the gray because Floridians deserve that. Floridians need us to. Of course. And, and, and so it's, it's interesting. I will say the opportunity to build um, relationships with colleagues who, who don't understand it and to help educate them is, is invaluable. And even just helping my Democratic colleagues be more comfortable to talk about abortion uh, can help us break the stigma around abortion access. I think that's the other challenge we face is you look at the, the women's rights movement alongside the LGBTQ plus movement. And of course, there are intersections, right? And mm-hmm. But we've seen things like marriage equality gain in popularity and gain in public support. Of course, those fights are not over yet. And we know that for trans people and trans people of color that continue to be targeted and often even scapegoated within the LGBTQ plus community. But the reality is that as a whole, you know, things like marriage equality um, have gained support because many Republicans know, know someone who identifies as LGBTQ plus, right? Yeah. We don't talk about abortion unless it's politically in front of us, unless it can be even, to my Republican colleagues, advantageous to them, right? Mm-hmm. And yet one in four American women have ended their pregnancy in this country. And right. we don't talk about it. And so I, I do yeah, think fear, story sharing. fear surrounding right. the, the repercussions. Right, or being, being judged or yeah. shamed. Right. So I know it's a long answer to your question, but it, it, is, so, it is so important that we, we, we share stories, that we um, lead with, with love and generosity and kindness. Um, and, and of course, you know, uh, let personal medical decisions be made between a, a, a person, their family, their doctor and their God and no one else. Um, but it's, it's a challenge, but it is one that I am so proud to be a part of. And, and I, and I, even though we don't always win the, win the vote on the house floor, I know we're winning the public conversation and that's really important. Yeah. And I, I think the other thing with Planned Parenthood as well, that a lot of people just, it's like synonymous with abortion and there's so many other things that Planned Parenthood offers women. And that's where, when I was in college, I went for my checkups at Planned Parenthood. I got my birth control at Planned Parenthood. It was Mm -hmm. so affordable. Um, I wouldn't have been able 
to have access otherwise um, and having those necessary checks, you know, for, you know, screenings and all of that. And so. And the role that plays in reducing the rate of abortion too, right? right. Like can't be forgotten. Like if, if those that, that are so keenly in opposition to abortion access, then if we focus on reproductive health education, sex ed, if we focus on access to contraception, that's going to be the, it's not even a secret sauce. Like it's, yeah. it's, you know, <laughs> it's like obvious. And yet, you know, we, we don't expand Medicaid in Florida. We, there's only maybe 20 Planned Parenthood health centers in the entire state of Florida. I mean, it's shocking, you know, just how, how underfunded public health is in general in our state. Right, and, terrible. you know, here, here we are, right? You know, I wanted to ask you, so unfortunately, you can kind of expect how Republicans are going to vote on this issue. But how shocking is it when five Democrats voted for this? <laughs> yeah. I mean, girl, I was right. like, oh out my of God. my mind. <laughs> and a lot of them were from here. Like, we're in South Florida. And so it was, it totally. was yeah. very disappointing. Yeah, oh, Very disappointing. God. So very how, disappointing. How you, I mean, is that a conversation that didn't happen? Did they not understand the issue? Or is it a religious thing? Like, it is a cultural religious thing? Like, right. How right. We, I love this. How do we, and even like when you're saying like we have to hold our own power, party accountable, honey, that's like what we like. Yes. The two of us are like, oh, Democrats. But like, here's this right, opportunity. Right, right. Like, we could at least count on you, right? Like, we can right. count on these five Democrats. Totally. Yeah. And is it totally. something that you guys knew going in that they were going to vote that way? Or was it? Oh, yeah. I love this. Now we're getting into yes. like, we're getting into the muck. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so, uh, so, so yes. I mean, the Democratic caucus. Definitely, definitely was aware going to the space that uh, the what the number breakdown would look like, and and you know I I I don't think it's just one clear answer, but I do think that there is a consistent allegiance um, that these Democrats were making with the Republican Party, and so it wasn't just abortion access; it was also the voucher system. Most mm. of these Democrats voted for the voucher system. Most of those Democrats get money for the voucher system. Some of their biggest donors are um, the, the the lobbyists for separate for students, which is one of the one of the largest voucher programs in the state. And even during their uh, for those who had primary races, there were um, tens of thousands of dollars in ads being spent by voucher advocacy packs in support of these Democrats. Mm-hmm. And these Democrats have also some have exhibited anti-LGBTQ comments. Right. Um, and and to get even more into the dirt, um, some of them don't even come to work. I mean, <laughs> there were some of those, those, some of those Democrats were never on the House floor. They were not in committee meetings. They were late to committee meetings. And so there definitely seemed to be um, just a lot of question marks around their commitment to, to the job as, as a whole. Um, but then, of course, these, these issues where they would, they would put their, you know, put their name next to a vote and they were w- voting with Republicans and, and likely because you get something out of it, right? I mean, I mentioned mm, the money that comes right. from the voucher system, but a part of it too is um, you, you're going to get your bill heard. If you, if you stay next to me on this bill, mm. you're going to um, get money in the budget. Uh, the governor's going to uh, invite you to his press conference and you would see those, those patterns, right? right. You would see um, like, for example, Representative Kim Daniels from Jacksonville, who just lost her primary election, bye. Um, you would, <laughs> right, bye. you would see her stand next to Representative Aaron Grawl, you know, from Ugh. Indian River County, who sponsored the bill, and they would do joint press conferences together. And you saw the same thing with the voucher system with these Democrats as well. And so, 
Um, and there, there very well could be a, you know, a, um, a faith-based component to this too. But I want to be clear, there are faithful Democrats and faithful Republicans who support private medical decisions. And, and there are um, very, I mean, there's organizations like Catholics for Choice. Um, mm-hmm. There's Interfaith Coalition for Reproductive Freedom here in Florida that, that I've been a member of for a very long time. And so I also don't think it's even just to say that, you know, this decision is primarily based on a, on a religious belief. And it's not even appropriate to say that it's based on what my district feels because mm-hmm. three of these candidates had really competitive elections in the primary and two of them lost and one of them almost lost. And so mm-hmm. you can't even tell me that my district leans, you know, against right. abortion access when sure enough, you know, for two out of three, they were removed from their district. And so it's, it's, it's really sad. It really is because, Again, like there are majority of Floridians support the existence of Roe v. Wade. They support right. private medical decisions being made. Again, there's always nuance within those numbers, and and folks will have different perspectives on gestational age and 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 reasons for termination. We can all agree on prevention, and of course, the emphasis on on alternative options to be available, like adoption. And at the end of the day, y'all. It's all about finances, and if we can right. if we can ensure access to prenatal and postnatal care at no cost and childcare at no cost, trust me, there will be more folks who will you know become parents right when they because when finances are not an issue. And so, so yeah, but we knew going into the house floor what it would be. We we definitely didn't know what the debate points would be, right? Like that that always surprises all of us. And what's really funny is, and I I, I sat right behind Representative Kim Daniels. And so, um, you know, when she would speak on issues, I would always be very thoughtful to just my reactions, right? Because I want to be respectful of my colleagues and when you're sitting behind a member who has the microphone, you're typically in the camera. So I would also be very thoughtful <laughs> to either step out of the camera frame or to just, you know, do my best to maintain composure because some of the comments were, of course, very offensive to, to, to the one in four women who made the decision to end a pregnancy um, and of course to young people who are in really difficult circumstances that might not be able to tell their parent or guardian. Right. And and the fact that these bills, uh, that this always drives me mad that the bills are tied to all of these other pieces are, are woven in. And so, you know, like you said, with the voucher programs, when people want their particular thing, then they vote for something and then all the things in that bill go. Right. Right. And, I mean, it, that's it's the frustrating so transactional. Yeah. It is. And what's frustrating, too, is that we, we often see issues like abortion um, be, a, uh, be, be traded. It's very, very common. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I want folks to know, too, that this was, at the end of the day, this bill was not even about empowering family units to be stronger. We can't legislate family units, right? We can't legislate parents talking to their kids and vice versa. What it really was about is trying to relitigate abortion access in the state of Florida. Because mm-hmm. Florida has a really strong right to privacy in our state constitution that's actually protected us from some of the worst abortion uh, bills in the state. And and what the anti-abortion extremists want to do is they want to bring this bill to the Florida Supreme Court, which is much more conservative now. Right. Um, and a lawsuit has actually not been filed at this time. So I feel like the time being, this will be the, the, the new requirements for young people seeking to end a pregnancy, but there's definitely been a lot of grassroots organizing and awareness trying to help young people navigate the process. 
contact the clerk, of course, because the thing is that every county will do it differently now because um, there's just no streamlined approach to a, a judicial waiver if that's what a young person attempts to seek. And unfortunately, we've already seen an appeal to a waiver be denied in Hillsborough. <sighs> and the young person seeking this, this judicial waiver um, with Guatemalan, um, her mom is not, her mom does not live here. You know, her mom lives oh, in Guatemala. Goodness. And so, you know, we just potentially sentenced this young, this young person, you know, to a pregnancy that um, was uh, not in her life plan. And it's really, really heart-wrenching when you just look at the data around, around what we're sentencing these, these folks right. to, right? I mean, it, it's going to have a generational impact on their lives. Um, and whatever, you know, aspirations they had will, 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 will either be on pause or will not come to fruition. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're legislating on people's livelihoods and on their bodies. That's just not appropriate. Oh God, it's, it's heartbreaking. It so, is. um, we speaking of those videos, we're friends with, uh, representative Polo down here in Florida. So, oh man, yes. she's awesome. She's awesome. And she her videos, is. her videos are, her speeches are always like gut wrenching too. They're really great. So powerful. Yeah. yeah. She's, so, she's an incredible communicator. Yes. Amazing. So, um, so ever since COVID has hit Florida, you've been a champion for those who have not received and still not received their unemployment. Um, it's known that we have this broken system widely. I mean, we knew before COVID, but here yeah. we are <laughs> and everybody knows now. And so uh, 1.8 million Floridians still, I believe, uh, think that the numbers correct, have not received their unemployment. So why is this issue important to you um, and how can we fix this system? Is it, I'd imagine these two sides need to come together, but... Mm-hmm. Is it because it doesn't seem like a it needs to be a partisan issue, right? Like, Agreed. I you know, like yeah. if people in northern Florida, which tends to be a more red area of Florida, are just as unemployed right. <laughs> than the folks Correct. down that Correct. are in a blue area. Correct. So like, why is this an issue and why is it taking so long? I mean, you have been on live videos since March, you know, helping right. the people in your district in an amazing way. So so what's the deal with all of this? Oh, my gosh. It is such a mess, ladies. And, and it was created by the 2011 legislature under the leadership of now Senator, then Governor Rick Scott, where they completely gutted the unemployment system, you know, with making the amount of weeks available to be on a, on a sliding scale versus reflecting the, the national average of how many weeks folks typically need to find a job. Um, and they also, re- you know, the weekly benefit amount of $275 has been untouched mm. in the last decade. And of course, uh, changing the access points to be completely virtual versus in the past where we had, where you had the ability to go to an office to apply for unemployment and to sit down with an appeal officer. Right. Everything's now remote. And it was, and that not only was intentional to cut the cost in the employment system, but has really reduced its access to people. And, and, and I, and I think the, the intention of, you know, trusting unemployed folks to, to get benefits turned into take every measure you can to restrict access to benefits. And we saw that in play during this pandemic where tens of thousands and at this point a million folks have tried to apply and took months to get right. anywhere and get anything. And so it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a partisan issue, to your point. And I can't imagine just some of our older folks who are already right. struggling, um, who might have to try to go onto an online system or don't feel comfortable 
understanding totally. how to fill that out and not having support totally. or guidance is devastating been too. Very common. Yeah. You know, it's been very common working with folks that are, you know, we see their, we see their date of birth and it's, you know, folks that were born in the sixties mm-hmm. having to navigate this system. And, um, and you already have, you know, access points around just Wi-Fi in general, right? Yeah. And in Central Florida, and I'm sure in South Florida too, there's also a large population of Floridians that live in hotels and motels because they they can't afford rent. They can't. Mm-hmm. They they never can do the down payment, or they have an eviction on their records. So getting leases is very difficult. Um, and so those Floridians are are some of the most vulnerable. In addition to those that were already homeless, and and so we've been very focused on. First of all, just delivering as fast as we can direct constituent services. And, and, you know, we have at this point with DO have sent them 30,000 claimant information. Some are duplicates in the sense that one problem becomes a new problem, but majority are are single individuals that we've sent to DO for help on their claims. And you mentioned we do our weekly virtual office hours. We do lots of different town halls and are always talking about this issue because new questions come up as as the weeks proceed and at the end of the day we need a complete revamp of this program with the next legislative session we need to increase the weekly benefit amount to at least 550 dollars we need to increase the amount of weeks to national average which is 26 weeks mm. and we need to improve the access points the software used to, to re- receive your unemployment compensation and Yes, it was Republicans that gutted this program, but I want folks to also know too, and this goes back to some muckiness as well. It's not, it's not always partisan. It's also about corporate greed mm. and, and corporations who are major donors to, to the Republican Party of Florida, but they also give to Democrats. I mean, you know, I can't, I can't be subtle about that. Um, but it's corporations that push for this unemployment program because they pay a lot less into it. And the less people who receive benefits, then the then the trust fund where the money comes out of remains remains solvent, which means the companies don't have to pay more taxes into it. Mm-hmm. So the major corporations benefit when folks can't access unemployment, and so it was very much designed to benefit them. And what's even worse about it is like there have been conservative report think tanks that have released memos about the unemployment system and have celebrated mm. Florida's unemployment system. There was a, there was one conservative think oh tank that based on Naples. I know they came out with a report, I kid you not, in February of this year, so right before the pandemic hit, celebrating the unemployment system, saying that Florida was one of the best models. I mean, it was just shameful, right? And, <sighs> and you know, here we are today living the realities of it. Why, why, you know, what bothers me the most about all of this is that, you know, y'all, y'all are elected to help people, right? Like, I feel like that is at the end <laughs> right, of the day, right. that's what people should be doing. And if you're getting elected to have power or for greed, anyway, you can benefit yourself privately, privately from it, then you really shouldn't be there and, or right. to help corporations. Like, it's so bizarre to me that you would, cause you guys don't get paid a lot of money. This isn't a profitable like salary, right. you know? And so right. like to, to get elected and just, in my opinion, be evil. Like, I don't yeah. get it. I don't get it. What are you, what's the end game in all of it? What is the payoff? It's like, it's the politics of it all that make it so disturbing. When it is, you it can is. use that power to do so much good. You know what I mean? Well, and I, I do, I do. And I, and I think the issue is that folks, 
folks are defining power very differently. You know, mm-hmm. power is power is neither good or bad, but it's also it's also not a scarce resource. It just we can build power together, and it mm. just depends on who wields it. And mm-hmm. I think for far too long, those that find themselves in a place of positional power, which is what I would refer to as you know, when, when you're elected official, you have a title, right? You mm-hmm. have you have some sense of a positional power. There's an assumption that you got to hold on to as much as you can, and an assumption that power translates into um, uh, surrounding yourself you know, with with the the big the, the big donors tend to be big corporations and and you'll get something in return because if you pass their bill then they're going to give you a large donation after the session's over and then you'll be able to continue to um you know build your personal positional power what you folks understand mm. is that like you don't need to do that to build power you, you and power is 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 not sustainable when it's positional if you truly want to build power then you you rise all boats you mm. you you invest in everyday people and and the the those who have power we all grow together because we're building it together and you know, that approach means centering centering policy on directly impacted people not on the on the rich few right and 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 but, but that's the structure we're up against you know is one right. that has been dominated by social interests it's been dominated yeah. by money and politics led by corporations um, and what's frustrating too is you know some folks who go into politics you see their their wealth like substantially increase and Mm. and you know you could you know hopefully they got a a, a raise at work or something but you know a lot of them already come from wealth (laughs) right and you see their wealth growing right it is and you see the wealth growing from uh receiving dollars at their political committee where sometimes politicians will spend their their money their campaign money on luxury right versus on their actual campaign um, but you also see folks that leave politics and they become the vice president of you know, X Y Z organization, mm-hmm. right? And then they 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 and they start lobbying legislature again. You see these like cycles, right? Of of uh, political abuse mm-hmm. and 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 that's what we try to challenge every day. Like I don't come for money. Um, I am very. I'm actually like one of the most conservative people when it comes to spending people, other people's money. Like I'm very, very, you know, shy when I spend people's money and I, it's just like, oof, I just, it's so hard for me to, to do it. But that's the point of a campaign. I just, I always feel so nervous about it, but, uh, but you know, it, we try really hard to also be just as transparent as possible and focus on empowerment, knowing that when folks hold me accountable, that I'm going to be the best damn lawmaker there is. And not only will folks continue to support us because of that, but I hope that they realize that you can do this too. You can run for office too. And to, and to challenge just the makeup of the legislature, because I think that alone would, would help, would help more and more people use their positional power to do just that, to, to build collective power and to, to lead with good deeds. Amazing. So, so how incredible. You, you're, so you're running again right now, your, your elections in November. How's the campaign going? The re-election campaign. Oh, it's going great. Yeah. I mean, we suspended all of our field activities back in March to just focus on constituent services. I will say that, you know, our the campaign, the, the traditional campaign was very much on pause for most of the summer because we were just focused on on wellness checks, on mm. contacting constituents, not for a vote, but to ask them what they need. Um, all of our volunteers became unemployment experts and 
um, helped us triage cases and send cases to DEO. So we really just kind of converted the campaign into, into a public service machine. And it wasn't until July that we hosted a virtual office opening and started getting back to the grind of, uh, of, of continuing constituent services, but also actively campaigning. Um, and so we feel really good. We're super blessed in the sense that, um, you know, folks, folks support us from all walks of life. And um, we have an incredible base of small dollar donations that keep us fueled. And we also attract some, some major donors that just give a shit about this work. <laughs> and, you know, they're, they're either retired or they're um, sick and tired of the same old and they want to do something different. And so we're really blessed in that way too. I, I spoke to um, actually my friend's mom last night that she, you know, he told her to donate to us and she made a, um, she maxed out to our campaign wow. after talking to her. Yeah. So it's just so funny, all the connections that you just don't know, um, you know, who's, who's spreading the, the gospel, right? So we're, yeah. we're really blessed in that way to build those relationships too that, um, and also we're helping other candidates. So I want to be clear about that. You know, we're, we, of course, are focused on our race, but we've been doing our part to direct donors to other candidates. Um, I've cut checks to other candidates for my personal uh, dollars, but also through my political committee. So we're trying really hard to also show up for others and help help win some more seats across the state. So we're very committed to that. Again, building that collective power. Oh, it's incredible. I mean, you were just, I feel like the epitome of the public servant, you <laughs> yeah. know, so supportive of constituents and offering, you know, town halls, events, uh, all of these opportunities and being really engaged with with your community. And I feel like, like that's what this is about. Yeah. Um, so it's so wonderful to witness and just even be able to talk to you today. has been so exciting yeah. for us. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you for the invitation. I so appreciate uh, women in media and, you know, creating spaces where in particular women talk about politics. Um, we need more of it. And so you know, thanks for what y'all do too. Thank you, and uh, good luck in your campaign. I know you're going to do great, and I'm excited to, in some way, maybe flip the House or the Senate of Florida. Yes. I don't know. we got to do yes. something to turn the state blue. I turn can't take it. it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this have, is the time. Yes. yes. This is the time. Have a wonderful day, Representative Escamani. We really appreciate it, and we love you, even though that's yes. kind of stalkerish. I'm saying it. I'm yes, saying we love you. We love you so much. We have been bouncing around with excitement all morning, so yes. thank you. Thank you. <laughs> no, thank y'all. Talk to you soon. All right. All right bye. bye. If you want to learn more about this week's guest, please follow the episode notes on our blog at themuckpodcast.fireside.fm and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Muck Podcast. To support The Muck Podcast, please visit our Patreon page. We have three levels of support and different goodies for each level, Muckraker, Policy Wonk, or Bleeding Heart. We can't do it without you. Music for The Muck Podcast, written and performed by Sean Doherty.